0: and welcome to Tax Shack, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Shack. I'm Leanne Hayes, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter and your host of today's podcast. I am joined today by Michael Messner and Michael Bode, both senior tax trainers with Tax Banter. Hi, Michael. And hi, Michael.
1: Hello out there.
0: Hello. <laughs> How are you both?
1: Very well, thank you.
2: We're always Excellent. excited when we get to discuss tax legislation with you, so um, what could be better than today?
0: Well, that's good, because today we're going to talk about a pretty topical issue, I think, and that's Division 328. Um, in particular, we'll be looking at, I guess, how it interacts with other provisions, some recent legislative changes whereby... We think perhaps the turnover's gone up, but not across the board. We'll also look, obviously, at those capital allowances, um, interactions, and the small business depreciation rules that apply there, and plus a couple of the other key aspects of the small business entity rules. So I guess we'll start off with an interaction of how Division 328, how it interacts with some of the other key tax provisions.
2: I'd like to uh, actually compare DIFF328 to to my marriage. It's a bit confusing at times. I think I know what I'm doing roughly, but then there are occasions, like when my wife says someone should throw the garbage and I say, yes, and she says, you know, that means you. And I said, you didn't say my name. Anyway, someone apparently means me. And this is really what DIFF328 is all about. We all use it on a daily basis. Everyone out there by default is pretty much in DIFF328, mostly amongst our client base anyway. But when it comes to the nitty gritty, and I'm I'm going to say this point blank, not only groups out there, we as trainers sometimes have to scratch our head because there has been so much tinkering, temporary legislation put in there, um, temporary legislation that was never fully thought through and, and, and existing legislation that was never adjusted. We have a whole raft of actually provisions that interlink with 328. For example, 4880, 152-hour small business CDT concessions. And we're talking about the GSD Act and FBT Act as well, um, to the point where it becomes really confusing. And that's why we're talking about this topic today. So Lee, you asked the question, what are the intentions? What's actually up for grabs in DF 328? And I'm just going to read the list out very quickly. We're talking about our immediate deductibility for small business startup expenses. We're going to talk about our um, small business CGT concessions as part of this, but only briefly. Simplified trading stock rules, a small business income tax offset. Most practitioners out there say, well, the software really calculates that for us. It's only a thousand bucks anyway, not worth worrying about. And then obviously the big ones, our um, capital allowances, which we'll talk about in detail today, and then the GSD choices that we have available to us, including the cash basis, and then a couple of FBT exemptions.
0: Yeah, that's a, excellent.
1: So I guess, Michael? I, I, I'm just stunned still at Michael's, uh, Mesner's just analogy there with the with the relationship, and, and when you run through those concessions. And my overall thought here, the Division 328 is not often used by many people. It's often seen as a little bit too difficult, a little bit too complicated, and it's shifting too fast. And therefore, what do you do? You disengage, and you don't actually bother to apply it. I don't know if that's the uh, like a marriage, then that's not a great one, unfortunately.
2: Great, <laughs> disclaimer, I love my wife. She's sitting right next to me listening in at this point in time.
1: <laughs> I'm sure that wasn't intended at all, Michael, but that was just where it was reverberating through my, my mind. Yes. Sorry, oh,
0: dear. No, not a problem. Um, so, when we're talking about our small business entities, obviously, we have a set of criteria that we need to start off with. There's no point in talking about what we can get until we know who can get it. And the key criteria for that small business entity, of course, is, is turnover. Isn't it, Michael Bode?
1: Indeed it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh so and, and oh, often a misunderstood go. concept, the, the the whole the, the turnover uh, aspect about whether we can get in or not, who is actually eligible to get access to it, and we've got uh, our, our increased turnover to the fifty million dollar turnover that gives us access to some of these concessions, uh, right out to fifty million dollar turnover. So the, the and, and the the provisions that apply to determining your turnover um, is aggregated turnover. So what do we need to be looking at? We need to be looking at our entire turnover, and we're looking at forecast turnover as our primary reference point especially that
0: in itself is so confusing isn't it Um, I find that it's borrowed this definition of who is a small business entity is borrowed for a lot of these new concessions that we see these temporary concessions Um, we talk about the temporary full expensing well it talks about you would be a small business entity if your turnover instead of being 10 mil is $5 billion. So this concept of of small business entity actually does extend much further by this borrowing in other pieces of of legislation on it. Michael Messner?
2: Exactly right. We even saw it in the JobKeeper where we had the hybrid uh, concept of uh, our turnover requirement where we said, well, you work out your benchmark percentage by referring to the turnover. And I think that's where most of us, because beforehand it was easy If you're carrying on a business in an entity, you kind of know what your turnover is, it's effectively your sales, that's about it. Well, just not quite, we're really talking about the turnover in the ordinary course of carrying on our business. And I think that gives away another big one here. If you're not carrying on a business, you don't have access to division three to eight. And carrying on a business, we highlight that every time in training is very, very different from carrying on an enterprise, yes. Every business is an enterprise, but not every enterprise is a business. Think about your commercial property, et cetera. Um, just because you're renting out a commercial property is so you're carrying on an enterprise. That doesn't mean you're carrying on a business. Obviously, another item here that throws a spend in the work is TR 2019-1. When is a company carrying on a business? Very controversial. The ATO says, well, this guidance in TR 2019-1 only applies for income tax purposes, that's not how common law works, however, it, it's a common it te- the term texts ordinary meaning what constitutes a business and we should really be looking out usually for the hallmarks of a business, which means. Um, scale do we have a profit making intention, um, are we doing things similar to other participants in the industry do we maintain books do we have a system in place is everything orderly. Um, uh, do, do we have something to sell whether our skills or knowledge or trading mm. stock, what, what is a business? And, and that is still the easier one, but when it comes to turnover to get back to that, that's where it gets quite tricky.
0: Absolutely. And, and Michael Bode highlighted it before when he said aggregated turnover. So it's not just the entity, is it? We look at entities connected to that business taxpayer, and then we look at affiliates. Um, and that all comes down to connected, it all comes down to control. And that in itself is difficult. I control you, you control me, or we're both controlled by the same third party. We're connected for this. So that net gets quite wide. But again, it's only those things in, in carrying on the business, in the business. It's the business turnover that's brought within that net.
2: That's right. And there's a lot of misconceptions out there as well about who's an affiliate. An affiliate is defined as a um, entity that is acting in concert or respecting our wishes and again there's this misconception out there all the time that spouses are automatically affiliates <laughs> well if my wife says I want to do or, I want to do this or have you done this I say yes but do I actually do it no obviously I forgot again so I'm not acting in concert and, and it's a question of fact whether regarding this very business we're talking about are we acting in concert regarding this yep. business
0: and I find it, so you need to do what I tell you to do in relation to your business for us to be affiliates. And you need to be an individual or a company. You can't be affiliate that direction um, with other entities. Yeah, it's interesting. Exactly. Um, and then, of course, you've got the testing years, which in a is is challenging and depends which concession you want as well. So in some instances, you're looking at last year. In some years, you're looking forward to what you think this year is, but only if last year or the year before you were below $10 And then sometimes you're waiting to the end of the year and reflecting back, but you can't be a small business entity um, for the purpose of, say, the GST cash accounting if you're at the end of the year reflecting on what it was. It has to be one of those first two tests.
2: On top of this, we have multiple turnover thresholds as well, which we need to be aware of. And unfortunately, or fortunately, it's supposed to be, there's a good intention behind it, we're increasing access to some of those conditions mentioned in DIF 328 um, to a high turnover threshold, $50 million. Um, conversely, we have some with $5 million, and it's really important to check when did which provision start. For example, our immediate, immediate deductibility for small business startup expenses is increasing to $50 million, and that is from 1 July 2020. On the other hand, the access to our simplified trading stock rules will also, the turnover threshold will also increase to $50 million, but only from 1 July 2021. And if you look at the FPT car parking exemption, that will increase from 1 April 2021. So you've got to be really, really careful, which year we're talking about, and what was your turnover for that period? And you think when it started, it was just a blanket $2 million. (laughs)
0: Life was easy. I was about to say that. Remember when they made a very deliberate effort to keep it all two million? We need it simple. We need one threshold. And now what we have, the two million for the small business C D T concessions, the five million you've mentioned for the um the offset, the ten million for things like the depreciation and then your fifty million for those ones you've just mentioned there. It's incredible, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that just seems like that. a little bit ridiculous in a in a way. I mean, offer, often people weren't even taking advantage of 328, where the simple threshold of two million dollars was a play. If you've got any question mark about this, you, you you might want to opt out. And and of course, with instant asset write off and 40 BB, how much do you really need to get access to 328 in the first place? So, I, I, I question, um, making it complex just means to adds to the 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 result that people just are not going to bother with it. A lot of people.
0: Mm, absolutely. And while we're talking about complicated, I'm a bit scared to mention it, but the capital allowances. Again, I remember when this was referred to as simplified depreciation. It's anything but simplified depreciation at the moment, isn't it?
2: In recent training sessions, I believe that took up half of my training session when it was only one slide. So, how do you get through the remaining 20 slides in our training session? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I guess um, it's probably important to talk about the capital allowances provisions very slowly because we don't have all the time in, in the world. I mean, sorry, very high level. We don't have all the time in the world there. But of course, what do the simplified depreciation rules as sort of a broad, brooch, uh, broad brush approach do?
2: The idea initially was to be able to write off the purchase of smaller or lower value assets, I should say, instantly. Mm -hmm. And the remainder, you would just say, well, the asset loses its separate identifiability, just chuck it into the small um, business pool and then keep writing off at one standard rate. So it doesn't matter whether the asset actually has a useful life of 20 years, um, or if you buy some artwork, for example, for your business, um, or whether it is just a, a laptop, which had a useful life of, I believe it was two years. In that case, just chuck it all into a small business pool and write it off at a steady rate of 30% unless it's a year of addition, in which case we're looking at 15%. I
1: I think it's um, uh, interesting that, you know, these rules were coming in at a time when... um, IT was improving dramatically and our record keeping was improving dramatically. So the actual um, concession that they were giving you know, and making it easy to calculate all of a sudden actually made it more difficult because you had to implement a new software system. The actual mathematics behind things were not the issue. So a lot of people continued, never took up this because simply their software was in place to continue with the depreciation. Depreciation is just a timing difference. So, you know, for many people, it doesn't make a lot of difference as to whether it's in one year or another year that you're going to get the tax deduction.
0: Absolutely. I, I'm always staggered by this sort of idea of giving you a big deduction today. It doesn't give you anything you're not already entitled to. It just changes when, doesn't it?
2: And there's a high level takeaway as well. It's easy to charge the depreciation at the beginning, but hopefully that asset will be used in a productive way, which means you have to profits in the future. And if you have to profits in the future, you will need to pay the tax on it in the future if you already deducted everything from the get-go. So again, Tax planning 101, be careful about what it means in the future years if you instantly write off an asset at this point in time.
0: Yeah. And I think up until this point in time, pe- people were happy to use the small business depreciation rules. I know when I talk to clients, if you had a small business taxpayer, you probably were using the small business depreciation rules. Um, easy. Anything less than the low cost asset threshold, which legislatively sits at $1,000. It's just it's gone up to 20 25 30 150, now we've got it fully expensed. And then everything else went to the pool. So it just gave you quicker depreciation, not too quick, so you still had the pool balance to shelter future balancing adjustments against. But now with the temporary full expensing, people are changing that decision, aren't they?
2: Absolutely, because you are able to actually choose whether you apply to capital allowances. And we've got to be clear, if you choose not to apply to capital allowances under 320 AD, that doesn't mean you're entirely out of Division 328. Every subdivision stands on its own length. So you could still have, um, for example, the prepayment rules applying or your small business income tax offset if you apply for it. However, it just means the capital allowances, which means both small business pooling and instant asset write-off, the instant asset write-off we know in Div 328, will not be available if you choose to not apply both of them. But... This obviously has a couple of issues. Michael but walk us through the issues.
1: <laughs> the issues involved with uh, the application of uh, the um, the rollovers is one, um, and whether whether we've actually actually got application of the rollover rules. The the application of the opt out measures actually only applying to forty BB means that we don't have an opt out mechanism in three two eight, um, and and. The lockout rules that will apply uh, mean that once we, if we do do choose to to elect ourselves out, then um, we might not be able to enter into the the system again, depending on if they change the rules or not, after
2: 2022. Um, Mm. Which one of these particular issues were you referring to, Michael? All of them pretty much. Um, (laughs) And I, I I think they all work together in combination because you mentioned one, well, multiple items that all play together. One very, very frequently overlooked item here is that an asset that was instantly written off using the instant asset write-off in D328 never makes its way into the pool. So if you dispose of that asset later on and you get received consideration for it, that means you have an instant balancing adjustment. You cannot offset that consideration received from the pool balance, which then leads to that issue that um, you are not able to use the rollover provisions provided it was destruction of the asset, involuntary destruction or disposal of the asset. And then you get an insurance payout, you can't roll that over, that accessible balancing adjustment into a um, uh, replacement asset, so to speak. So obviously you would then use temporary full expensing or the the instant asset write-off at that point in time, to expense that replacement asset, but still, it might not um, see you come out a um, level where you would have otherwise expected to be. Yes, I
0: find it really, I find it really interesting as well the fact that you, you would have made the choice to use the small business depreciation rules in the past, just done it, and never thought about that again. Now, with all this increased access and the fact that every asset you purchase is pretend, uh, potentially one hundred percent deductible to you. This is now when we're thinking, Okay, let's leave. Let's actually jump out of the small business depreciation rules, go into the normal rules in Division 40 so we can choose on an asset by asset basis what we fully expense and what we don't, what we get the 50% um, backing business investment incentive on and what we don't. But then people don't realise that you've left Division 328 depreciation. But what stays in the, what's in the pool stays in the pool. It never leaves the pool. What happened in Vegas stays in Vegas. What's in your pool stays in the pool. And you have to follow Division 328 with that pool, which means it gets written off. And then, like Michael mentioned, you've got the lockout rules as well. We've never thought about them. And they have a really interesting spin in this transitional period too, don't they?
2: absolutely you have to be very very careful here first of all practical application the instant asset write-off is going back to a thousand dollars on 1 july 21 just around the corner you can still get temporary full expensing of depreciating assets Sorry, did i say something wrong yeah it goes uh, 22, 22 22 22 sorry <laughs> has been extended as well but we anyhow have temporary full expensing of depreciating assets And in fact, it is compulsory to write off the small business pool balance at the end of the 21 and 22 years. We can't get around this. So if the taxpayers say, well, hang on, we don't want to write that off. Let's opt out of the small business pool in the current financial year 21. That's fine because we can obviously mix and match on an asset by asset basis under 40 bb The problem is that the lockout rule prevents us from then rejoining the three to eight capital allowances for five full years thereafter. And here's the issue. That rule is suspended at the moment. We can still opt out in 21 and then opt back in at any point in time there later in 22. But if we were not in three to eight in the 22 financial year, then we are locked out for five years from there on because there is no relaxation of the lockout rules. And one additional comment here, I hear this being uh, mentioned quite incorrectly at times. The lockout rules is what prevents you from joining the three to eight capital allowances again. The lockout laws is what keeps you out of the pub after midnight. <laughs> <hunt. laughs> well, we we do hope you're like not allowed lock- to go
0: to if you didn't take out the garbage.
2: <laughs> <laughs> like the lockout laws
1: in relation to the pub, we do hope these laws do change though, because it, it does seem ironic that in that twenty-two year, if you, you still maybe want in that year, want to opt out. Uh, and and if you do that due to that, you may end up in a problem uh, in future years. So let's hope that something changes yes. there, they'll extend it or further either the Full expensing gets these back, or the uh, the lockout.
2: I think one one absolutely practical tip here is just going forward everyone out there, make sure you maintain a proper work paper. Your software for your financials is probably not capable of doing it. Maintain a proper work paper detailing when the asset was acquired and whether the instant asset write-off was used or whether it was added into the pool because that'll help you work out what happens to the asset when you actually dispose of it at a later point in time. Well, it simply because people are it. not
1: going to keep record of this, there's going to be so many disposals and they're not going to realise they're exposed to an accessible yeah. income coming through and they think they'll be able to reduce Absolutely. their pool balance. They're not going to be right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And you've got to work out this asset was fully expensed, therefore, termination value is accessible income. This asset went through a pool, albeit the pool was written off, therefore, the termination value reduces any future pool balance. Mm. Um, and the other thing, of course, just to round out the capital allowances, is we only need to monitor our use of those assets or we have changes for use, changes in use, adjustments to the pool only for a short period of time compared to normally in Division 40 where we're constantly monitoring that that taxable use, aren't we?
2: Absolutely. It's three years and in fact we can disregard any 10% change in uh, business use um, entirely here so we don't need to adjust our pool. Mind you, reminder to everyone out there, you can only have a change in business use if in fact you are an individual, a sole trader or an individual partner in a partnership, because if you're a company or trust, it's 100% business use anyway. And instead, any such use is captured by fringe benefit tax. Yeah. Yes.
0: So one of the other um, mechanisms in this list of things that we get by jumping into or picking and choosing from Division 328 is of course the trading stock rules. So, how do the trading stock
1: rules work? Well, I'll take that one up there. When we have our simplified trading stock rules, it says if you, it's quite simply, if you are able to estimate that the movement in your trading stock is less than $5,000, then you don't actually have to take up a movement in your trading stock in terms of an accessible or a deductible amount. So, that is uh, being taken advantage of by. Uh, various different small businesses for many years before and after this provision was introduced simply by the use of use of of rough guesses and and and, uh, effective uh, stock takes but but so you know I'm not quite sure that this is anything other than just allowing a little bit of looseness through to the keeper that's how I'd describe it
0: and this is one of those ones that is going up to 50 mil isn't it
1: indeed it is which seems a little ridiculous doesn't it I mean maybe you have a company that has, has got a turnover of like like you've described your 49 million dollar turnover company that has a has a, a trading stock that would be small enough to suggest that the movement was less than five thousand um, dollars. but um, you know, and, and, and 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 whether you'd actually ever take advantage of that. I just don't know why that would be included.
2: Correct. I think again, a practical takeaway here for the groups out there is to um, just be careful, maintain your work papers because what most people do is you obviously account for your change in trading stock in your financials then maybe you reconcile out in the tax rate that increase of less than $5,000. And by the way, that's a choice. You don't have to do it. And that's why if we have a decrease, we'll obviously um, uh, never choose to not count it. But if it's an increase, we will definitely choose to not count anything under $5,000. The problem is if you do that, then your deemed opening value in the next financial year is not the value that you had in your financials, but actually the prior year opening value, where you then chose to ignore that increase thereafter. So please don't double deep effectively by saying, okay, my closing value in the 18 year was $30,000. My closing value in the 19 year was $34,000. We ignore that $4,000 increase and my opening value in the 2020 year is then $34,000. That's not how it works. You need to then also take the 30,000 because you ignored that increase of uh, of $4,000.
1: For a lot of people here, of course, the trading stock uh, you've got. To, if you've got an audit, for example, in these larger companies, they're going to have that availability of that piece of information anyway. Um, and you know, for a lot of people, there are obviously benefits here. And also, this feeds back into our opt. You know, some people that might want to opt out. You've obviously got a lot of flexibility with your trading stock rules. Being able to lift your income might mean that you offset any tax deductions you've got from other sources um, from the full expensing, for example if you didn't want to take advantage of it because you're an individual or a trust with franking credits or some such.
0: Another um, one that often comes up a little bit from time to time would be the small business income tax offset. Um, Do people hang out for this one? Is this one we're striving really hard to get? The computer
1: calculates it, doesn't it?
2: That's
0: right. I know. The
1: software that's my artist. approach to it.
2: However, I'd like to think that the diehard accountants out there, every dollar counts. And if you can get $1,000 saved on our text, Absolutely. that's $1,000 in our pocket. Look, obviously, we're only eligible if we are actually a uh, individual or we are, um, and it could be a sole trader or receiving a trust distribution or part in a partnership. Obviously, the moment that income is coming through a company, we've got a bit of an issue because then obviously base rate entity provisions apply. Importantly, this measure is not available to ourselves unless we're talking about attributed PSI income from a company, um, but in that case, well, PSI rules apply anyway. So Lee, you already pointed out that our requirement here is a turnover of less than $5 million rather than the $10 million or $50 million we're used to. The computer does it all for us, try to save the thousand bucks. It's calculated at a discounted tax rate, the margin rate of applying of 13%, but it's capped at a thousand dollars per annum. I think that's pretty comprehensive.
0: Yeah. Um, and the reminder I just tell people is you don't, the minute you've got a chain of entities, you're off. Um, it's got to come directly into your tax return from the entity to get um, the business income, has to come directly from the entity into your tax return in order to get it not sophisticated at all. So the last one, it's probably again, uh, it was a bit of a a, a hot topic a few years back. I guess it's kind of off the boil a little bit would be the small business restructure rollover. So the, the one in 328G. So when is this one available to us?
2: Well, first and foremost, again, you have to be carrying on a business, that's important and you have to be a small business entity. And really the good news is um, that there's not a lot of other conditions. You need to be transferring um, either your entire business, that also includes your trading stock, um, or you can transfer individual assets as well here. They must obviously be business assets. The important thing- Exactly active, they must be active. And the important thing is that, unlike with the other rollovers, we have a lot of flexibility. We can go from a sole trader to a trust. We can go from a trust to a company. We can go from the company to a partnership. Everything's pretty much possible. And also we can to a degree, careful, pathway applying, also change the beneficial ownership to a degree. However, we have a safe harbor rule here. And that safe harbor rule says that for three years after the rollover, we really should not be having any change there there in beneficial ownership. So unfortunately, I see a lot of firms out there that say to me, well, we're gonna do this in, in anticipation of a future sale to manage our capital gain, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that would have pathway written all over it, really, wouldn't it? So for that yeah. reason, be careful when you apply this one.
0: Yeah, and I do think it is framed or couched in terms of being a restructure, a genuine restructure. That's exactly what the legislation says, a genuine restructure of an ongoing business. So it really shouldn't be those preliminary steps to divesting ourselves of the assets or um, estate planning. I appreciate that's what people do, but that's not the spirit of what it's, what it's about. But I do do agree. I think it's incredible that we can get the discretionary trust in there. Um, as long as you're prepared to do the family trust election I do find it it's incredible
1: restructure early restructure often (laughs) (laughs) might be suggested now, well, for some cynical. listeners
2: out there, I used to work with Michael Boat in the past <laughs> and public practice, and that's what our discussion sounded like on a daily basis. The problem is you would have a good time on the phone, and then you would need to put this down on paper to prepare right. an advice to provide to the client. You cannot write this in the advice, so don't ever quote us on this. We're text trainers, not registered agents <laughs> yes. at this point.
1: I actually believe the opposite is true. That's, yeah. Uh, People restructure too often.
2: uh, Um, Funnily enough, we've got to be a bit careful with our three-year safe harbor as well because just because the three years are over, the ATO has made it very, very clear that it doesn't give us a carte blanche here to do whatever we want to, okay? Um, The ATO will still be looking out for this intention. Obviously, the cynic in me says, well, after three years, how are they really going to pick it up? What's our detection Hmm. risk after three years? And the answer is probably a lot higher than you think it is.
0: I'm sure you're indicating on the tax return, this is exactly what you're doing and they've got a little flag, follow up later, follow up later. <laughs> and again, it's only the direct income tax consequences that are switched off as well, not the downstream ones as well, which we often forget about the, how you actually finance the transactions does that create divisions Division 7 A loan and those sorts of things. And I think it sounded really good upfront when you actually try and put it into practice, that's when it gets a little bit trickier to actually apply.
2: Mind you, as a proud Queenslander, I have to give a shout out to Michael Botier simply because um, New South Wales has gotten rid of transfer duty as far as I'm aware on um, small business re-structures. So that's obviously fantastic news here. That makes it a lot easier to use that restructure structure um, and where we have a lot of assets in the business. Um, Queensland is going the same way as well. Lee, help us out how we're looking in Victoria on that front.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I actually didn't look into that one. I probably should
2: have. I, I actually know. <laughs> I, I don't want to boast being a Queensland again. I always joke nothing good ever comes out of Victoria when it comes to tax law and the old corporations act, but that goes back more than two decades now. Um, the answer is no, that would be a, a, a dutiable transaction in Victoria as well, as it would in most states and territories, though. It would be in SA as well. It would be in WA, DNT, um, Tassie as well. So I pretty much covered everyone. Um, it's really only New South Wales who have taken that We did, We did that
1: away with uh, transfers of business assets several years ago, yes, in New South yeah. Wales.
2: And that's good news. And Queensland Generally. is following now as well at long last.
0: So that actually brings us to the end of Division 328. We've gone very high level through quite a number of those, those concessions. Um, really useful stuff stuff we, we, we need to know how often I guess it comes up will be um, obviously depending on the concession itself um, certainly the trading stock rules for example I haven't seen them applied all too much I think the 5,000 sort of just a bit, bit disregarded there but then of course you look at the small business depreciation rules and, and that's done all the time isn't it
2: that's 100% right and I think we have gone as, as we already said from a very simplified regime to a more and more complex regime. Unfortunately, that's a feature of our tax law, but that's great news to the groups out there. You can actually achieve something great for your clients and charge for the advice as well. Think about it in the past, oh, it's an asset worth a thousand bucks, just chuck it in, uh, write it off instantly, the rest goes in the pool. Well, you couldn't charge for that. Now, where larger acquisitions of assets are actually involved, there is good advice you can charge. And by um, changing the timing or or opting in, opting out, you can derive a lot of extra value, which directly translates to dollars saved for the client. And for that reason, happy days, advisory work, that's what we want to do. So don't just say it's all too hard. Have an open mind. There's a lot of good guidance and a lot of good literature out there, and you can achieve something great for your client. Yeah, and you can opt
0: it. in or out of each one of those concessions separately, can't
1: you? Absolutely. Opportunities to save our clients an enormous amount of money, much more than ever before.
0: Well, thank you both today for coming along and chatting to us about Division 328. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Tax Chat, Chat. I've been chatting with Michael Bode and Michael Messner. If you'd like to connect with us on social media, you can find Tax Banter on LinkedIn and Twitter. Let us know your take on episodes or suggest future topics or guests. Our podcast, please take a moment to rate and write a review for the show wherever you are. It helps to improve the profile of the show and we love to hear your thoughts. We look forward to you joining us next time.